0: by H. What's going on guys? Got to sit down with J.D. Bunkus, talk about everything going on with the UFC sports in general. And as you know with most media, things are changing quickly with everything happening with COVID-19. And of course they scrapped the UFC 249 card, something we talked heavily about on this episode. But I hope you enjoy the back and forth banter of our thoughts of this test balloon and how things were going to work. And how they can make this a feasible thing and how maybe it's not a smart thing to do as well. All right, this was a great episode with JD. I appreciate him taking the time with me sitting down. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you and yours are staying safe during these trying times. And I hope this is something that takes your mind off everything just for a little bit. Get some debate, get some hockey talk, sports talk, everything you need in your life, in your ears, right here. All right, guys, enjoy the interview. JD, take her easy. Alright, so we're sitting down again with another great episode of Offside And tonight we're sitting down with none other than Sportsnet's J.D. Bunkus J.D., how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm getting by, man Thanks for having me, James
0: Not a problem at all Well, sitting down with you is going to be fun Because there's a lot of things we can crack into, obviously With everything going on in the world You know, getting to bounce around Have some fun Talk about different topics Get people's mind off of things that are happening And I'm glad you're a guy that can uh, sit along for the ride Yeah,
1: uh, that's probably been... The best part about doing this lately is, is hearing from some people that actually do use this for an escape or do just want to talk about some sports or where sports are going and uh, hear from different athletes and just kind of escape from it for a little while. And yeah, it's definitely not, you know, frontline working. We're not out there stocking grocery shelves or uh, working as in the healthcare system, being doctors, nurses, people who clean the hospital, people picking up the garbage. But yeah, it's still it's still nice to be able to provide something right now.
0: Well, definitely is. I mean you gotta think about the fact that everybody needs an escape and sports were such a huge escape for so many people whether you watch basketball hockey football baseball it doesn't matter all of those things are huge for people and not having that now now podcast turned to the next medium and you know like you said getting your favorite athlete on or getting your favorite you know whether it be a rock star whether it be a comedian whatever everybody's pining for more and where everything's kind of being scaled back this is a way you can kind of up the ante a bit
1: yeah that's how we've been kind of trying to approach it the, like I'm a big silver linings guy. I'm I'm kind of an optimistic dude. I know I can come off as pessimistic and negative sometimes on the show, but overall I like to believe that everything, if you spin it the right way can, can come out and have something good, a, a natural, nice outcome. And what I hope from some of this is that, and what I've seen already with our show is how many athletes have been willing to take time out of their days and come on with us still and discuss their experiences how many big hosts like over the last over the last two weeks our shows had kurt warner Bismack Biombo nasim kadri kevin pilar uh it's rich eisen there's there's a large community of people in athletics who yeah just want to kind of share what they're going through and, and discuss what they what the last couple of weeks or months has basically been like for them and And the positive side of this for that is that, yeah, I think that it allows all of us to just kind of have a common ground. One of the things I've always loved about sports is that it's something that, you know, you don't need to have a degree in. You can be a 7-year-old kid or you can be an 80-year-old grandparent and you'll be able to have a place where you can just discuss something as, you know, close to equals. And I think that something about this so far has been the realization of a shared experience, a collective experience. Uh, It's just it's been easy to talk to people and it's been easy to relate to people. And, yeah, it doesn't really matter um, what exactly you're going through. Everybody is going through something right now. And, yeah, it has been great to just kind of share some memories with people, look ahead to people, be optimistic about a world that is going to have sports back, that is going to have some normalcy again that is going to allow us to have our pastimes, that is going to have us allowed to watch our athletes and then also look back at some of their greatest accomplishments or what they've done in the past. So yeah, it's it's been a bit of a reset. It's been a little bit different, but um, it it has been, it, it's been challenging, but it's also been, it's been enlightening as well.
0: Well, definitely. And like you said, you get to talk to these people that are going through the same thing. And also you get to kind of relate with them on that level where, you know, they are saying, Hey, you know, I'm at home too. I'm dealing with this too. And, you know, so many people, like you said as well, you know, they look at it the one way that, hey, these guys got so much money. But the same thing is, if you're at your home and you're, you're on self-managed to be home, there's, there's no difference. You're at home. So you're not going outside, you're not seeing people, you're, you're self-isolating. But before we jump into, you know, your favorite interviews and, and people that you've done, you know, great talks with, I want to know yourself. How did you get to where you are? How did you get with Sportsnet? And basically, what made you step this way and want to check out the Being On Air?
1: So I've always been a chatty Cathy, Um and I always thought that was going to parlay itself into something that was going to be a legal career. That was just kind of always the way that I went. It was kind of always the thing that people told me I was going to do. Um, and I did an undergraduate degree in Ottawa at Carleton University. Uh, I actually you know, lived with a bunch of guys from Dartmouth while I was there, so shout out to your region. Uh, and yeah, I love the boys from out east. And yeah, I just, when I was wrapping up my undergraduate degree and applying to law schools, I just, I didn't really have, I I couldn't really see myself doing more school and not that much school anyways, not just committing to, you know, another heavy degree and and traveling somewhere I didn't want to and having to spend a lot of time to invest in something that I maybe didn't have a passion about that, um, that maybe more other people told me that I wanted to do. And so luckily um my mom is a guidance counselor at a high school at the time and so she's so used to looking over things with her students and trying to help kids with the future and and i was just very it just kind of a little bit serendipitous that you know my mom who i love and who i talk to she's a rock uh i told her how i was feeling about law school after i finished my lsats and i had applied to some places and i just said i don't think this is for me i I think that if I end up going here I'm gonna end up dropping out and it's gonna be a money pit and I, and I gotta make sure I love this and so um, she she helped me look at some other options with my life and one of these options was just a it was a sports journalism school at Centennial College in Toronto and at first it seemed kind of like a stupid idea because yeah you know I'm a big sports fan but how do you get into sports when you're just you know a, a regular Joe uh, and someone without a sports background. I just kind of figure, you know, who, who, what do they want? They want athletes. They want agents. They want, you know, GMs and executives and people who have been around leagues. And so um, I gave it, I decided to give it a shot. I went down for an interview, and I fell in love with the campus. I liked the program. There were some people that were teaching in that program that were legitimate names, uh, like Shai Davidi was one of my teachers there, the, the Blue Jays writer, Ryan Walsh, uh, who at the time was producing Bob McCallum's Primetime Sports, Um, there was just like, a there was a lot of different people that I I was really interested in learning from. It wasn't a huge commitment. It was one year. It wasn't a crazy amount of money. I gave it a shot. I moved to Toronto. Um, and I made a good relationship with, uh, Ryan, again, the producer of primetime. He had a radio class. It was my favorite one. It was about interviewing people and round tables. And, uh, that was just kind of something that I was always kind of good with and, he, he told me to try and interning at the fan. I got some other opportunities in smaller places, and I really considered them because generally they tell you in this business that you want to start in a small place because you get to do more and you get to get on air right away. And if you want to be on air, that's the ticket. But I just, I wasn't interested in doing another move to a small place um, to, to pursue that. I just, I, I didn't, it I was something I would we have been willing to do, but it was something that moving away from my friends, moving away from my family, doing another big up move like that to go to a small community. I'm from Whitehorse, Yukon, originally. I didn't really want to live in a small place again. Um, It was prohibitive. So I took this offer at the fan, and people told me I was a little crazy because it's so competitive there and it's really hard to move up. But pretty much right away, um, I've always been a big believer in hard work. I've always been a believer that, you know, hard work and opportunity, uh, those two things will eventually uh, intersect Um, got started at the very, very bottom as an intern, worked my way up to become an audio editor. And I just, from there basically looked at things that people didn't want to do and said I would do them, whether or not it was added reporting for free, uh, whether or not it was doing late night radio show producing that would keep you at the station until, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and have to take this like crappy bus on the way home. Um, it just it was all about doing that and making sure that you treated every single job in the building like it was the most important one and then eventually a uh, podcast came along and they started they wanted to do an NBA podcast and they wanted to do it with a couple people that weren't me and they asked me if I wanted to produce it and I just said I w I wanna be on it. I don't wanna just produce it, I wanna I think I can I think I can contribute to this. And I started doing that without actually permission. They told me that they didn't really want me to, the bosses didn't. <laughs> that were running that division, so shout out to them, uh, because the guy that was running podcasts at the time had zero faith that I was going to do anything, uh, and the two guys that were doing the podcast didn't pan out, and it ended up being sort of my thing. It ended up being a launching off point. I kept being told that I had to do updates. I kept being told I had to do reporting, but I just wasn't interested in that, and I kept digging in to find ways to get creative that I could keep cracking microphones. And yeah, that started, I kept bugging people. I kept pushing people and I kept doing podcasts and I kept putting together demos and I was recording stuff on my own and doing my own podcast in my own private time. And yeah, it just eventually just worked out with me getting on air. Um, I was already producing full time for Brady and Walker and then the Andrew Walker show. My friend Andrew Walker was a huge support to me. He put me on air in the daytime before anybody else did he put me on without permission and then yeah it's just you get reps man you get reps in this business you keep chatting you keep cracking microphones it's just like anything else you start to get better at it you get more confidence at it you find your real voice and yeah i i kind of just kept going ben ennis joined andrew walker he and i had always been friends and when walker went to vancouver i was offered a job in vancouver as well but i really wanted to work with ben i wanted to host a show with ben um We just always had a shared vision when it came to the approach for sports and and what we wanted to do, and uh, I beat out a few people, and yeah, the rest is history. We're here now. It was a couple of years ago. Uh, That was probably really (laughs) long-winded.
0: No, man. You know what? The good thing is some people wrap it up so quick when they're talking about Mm -hmm. what, you know, they don't like to talk about themselves. It's good to know. It's good to know the ins and outs. And I like the fact that every time you were saying, you know, you did it without permission. You just put yourself on, and then people would, you know, have faith in you, so they put you on without permission. It's good to know that, you know, sometimes you can almost fly in the face of authority and, and just show them, hey, look, I'm here. I'm good at what I can do. I can do more. Let me show you. And you're right there. Look where you are now. I mean, geez, I listen to you on the radio with Ben Ennis, and it's crazy to be sitting here talking with you about this because it's awesome. And listening to what you've done, obviously, you know, I do my own little podcast here with this but it's nowhere near the stuff that you guys do. But it's cool to hear, you know, keep cracking mics, keep getting your reps in, find your voice. Because sometimes <sighs> when you're doing a podcast, you get lost in it and you're wondering, am I doing this right? Am I am I sounding right? You know, and then listening to someone like yourself who went through it and did all the different things, you know, and then now you are where you are. It's awesome to hear that. So, yeah, no, not long with it at all. Sorry, my answer something along with it afterwards. No, no, <laughs> I liked it. So, here's
1: the thing, and that's what I tell everybody. It's like one Yeah, you have to take – sometimes you just have to do and then ask for forgiveness later. The thing is that I always made sure though is that I was indispensable in other areas. Like you can't be someone who acts like they're entitled to something or that they should be given more if you're not going above and beyond. And far too many times even – and I don't think this is just in my industry. I think this is in a lot of different jobs. People just do their job and then they expect something to be given to them for doing their job. And it's like, no, you got to do more. Like – The hours that you're putting in, not to be like Elon Musk here, but you have to put in more time than the person that you think you're competing with, which is the best person. You can't compete with the person that's doing the same job as you at that time. you got to be looking ahead and saying, like, how am I going to match this person who might be more talented, who might have a better connection, who might have a better opportunity? How are you going to match them? You've just got to figure out different ways to do that. And sometimes that is moving forward without asking. Sometimes that's going above and beyond on an ask they make of you. But podcasts were not really around when I first started. Like, they were. Like, I used to love Bill Simmons' podcasts. Like, BS Report, I used to listen to it on ESPN.com. I'd go, and it was on the, like, subway player. And you'd go to, like, the website and actually just stream it off. And, like, I remember when it was that and listening to Bill Burr and Bill Simmons. And that was basically it for me. And I loved that stuff. I always loved sports talk. I I used to watch hockey central at noon on television and yep. those are my those are my staples, right? Um, so I, I just think it's one of those things where if you can get a podcast, and I tell this to people all the time, and if you're listening to this right now or if it's just for you That if you want to do this stuff, if you want to have a podcast, just do it. Don't worry about listeners. Don't worry about downloads. Don't worry about the way that you're promoting it. Worry about your sound. Worry about trying to make something that you want to do. Worry about your feel and go from there. And if like if you find that, if you find something, if you build something that's interesting, the other stuff, it will take care of itself. Like you don't want to promote something before you know who you are you don't want to worry about downloads before you have something like way too many times I hear from people like, well, like how can we get subscribers? And it's like, dude, you've done three podcasts. Yeah. Like You're done three podcasts with your buddies and you're doing one a week. Like how could you possibly expect that you're going to get subscribers and advertisers? Like that stuff takes care of itself later. So if you're passionate about this, I, I'm telling you, just keep doing it and do it for yourself. And, and if it turns into something bigger, I promise you it'll happen from you putting the investment in to, to whatever you want it to be, that that stuff will take care of itself. But don't worry about that stuff now. Just do it. Just do the podcast. Anybody can get by a microphone. Anybody can learn introductory audio software. Everything sounds good now. And yeah, just do it for yourself. Reach out to people, DM people like you did with me um and i think you'll be surprised at who will say yes and and how things will operate for you so yeah uh, good on you for doing this man
0: no no it's, it's awesome and you know what the cool thing is especially like you reaching back out but so many people in the industry whether it be craig button whether it be you know we've we've had you name it from Sportsnet on on already you know no okay. one said no everybody comes on and, and like you said earlier about athletes giving their time i look at the same thing with media members you know you guys are very busy as well, obviously getting things prepped and ready and cut and you know getting your shows together. so to have everybody come on and sit down with us, it's awesome like my co-host isn't here tonight, but it's great just to sit down and basically shoot the shit with someone and you know be wow. honest about things and be open about things and That's the best part about doing a podcast. there's no boundaries. So you're not, you know, bound by any constrictions of time. And, you know, we do have a couple of uh, sponsors for this show, but they don't bound us by anything. They just want to be, you know, a part of it and support it because they enjoy it. So that's what's awesome about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you, man. So in having you on, obviously, I know who you are. I know what you do. Uh, I was Uh looking at one of your tweets there, you know, about the WWE. And I'm going to bring this around because I'm a huge (laughs) WWE fan and UFC fan, but... I I got your tweet here, you know, what am I missing about the WWE seemingly escaping criticism (laughs) for continuing through the pandemic, and the UFC got roasted for looking for Khabib and Tony without fans. The only thing I could say about that, and I just wanted to talk to you about it, because for me, you look at the WWE, they have their performance center. The UFC kind of has the the Apex training facility in Vegas, but Vegas got shut down, and WWE was allowed to go through with whatever they were doing in Florida, I guess, because they got permission. So, the UFC getting roasted, it's just because Dana White's so, you know, brash in the media. He doesn't care. He flies in the face of everything. Thinks Donald Trump's his best friend and will give him whatever he wants. You know, go, go ahead and rent the private island. That's their new thing. I'm wondering for you, do you think it's a bad idea for the UFC to go ahead? And did you think it was a bad idea for WrestleMania, even though it was taped two weeks prior? Do you think it was a bad idea for that to happen too?
1: Mm, not really, to be honest. Here's, here's what I will say. I just think that if you're an athlete like that, you should. They should make sure that everybody's on board, and they should be making sure that they're taking precautions. And guess what? If the WWE wants to continue, then guess what? No traveling. You got to shut it down. You basically have to have quarantine league. You got to be in the same place every single night. You got to record all these things quickly. Like you can't space them out. You got to do exactly the model that they did before, which is like tape a month in advance and run it at that point, and then see where you're at in a month. I'm not overly like. I, I understand that people want this to be perfect, and I know I work in sports media, and I'm not trying to be ignorant of this. Like, man, I, I'm, I'm listening to social distancing as much as anybody. Like, I've been home for a month. I left work right away. I expressed to my boss on a Thursday uh, the, the, the day before sports shut down that I didn't want to come into work anymore because I took the subway in Toronto, and I was already starting to feel uncomfortable about it, and I said, I want to work from home. I and see I that. got good bosses who set me up with it and wanted me to do this. I've been taking this seriously from the jump. I have no disillusions about you know, the, the safety hazards or making it a risk for other people. I just think if the wrestling league wants to continue, just much like the UFC, they're going to have to be quarantined for 14 days. And they're going to have to have athletes who decide that they want to sign off on this and making sure that they're not risking other people. Because it's one thing to risk yourself and to endanger yourself for a paycheck. It's another thing to put yourself out there and then endanger members of the public because you're deciding to do something that other people cannot. So I'm really not offended by what the WWE did. And the tweet was more about, I'm a UFC fan. Like, I love the UFC. You know. It's. I don't even know. Like sometimes I think it's my favorite. It's my favorite sport is mixed martial arts. Like I just think it's the purest form of competition. I respect it to a degree that it's just different than other sports. It's it's a pure pure form of competition that you don't need to come from uh, a background of privilege. Like my big problem with hockey is basically you need to be sneaky rich to make it in the nhl like that's why you see so many kids from upper middle class families who make it to the show that's why you see so many people who come from backgrounds where their family members were hockey players or they they come from money because yeah it's expensive it takes a lot of money to keep your kid in high level hockey and keep going up mixed martial arts isn't that it's pure it's just you need to be able to fight you need to have guts you need to step into a ring you have to step into a cage and be able to access a gym and you can do it anywhere in the world and no one else has a bigger advantage it's it's beautiful and it gets a bad rap sometimes because of the way Dana White operates and the perception yeah. from other people sometimes with cage fighting is that you know you just have idiot brawlers are in there and it's not it's these martial artists like you can't know someone like George St. Pierre and think that what he is doing and what he believes in is like bare knuckle boxers you know from uh like somewhere in northern ireland just scrapping it out in a yard like that's not what this is this is something else and so i'm disappointed that the ufc has taken this look and that they're continuing to try to do this right now because i just don't think that this is the kind of PR that they've ever needed from other people. And so for wrestling, uh, what I was surprised by is that it just didn't seem like people were upset. But my buddy Blake Murphy, he reached out to me, another East Coast, by the way. So shout out to the East Coast yet again, another beauty. <laughs> he DM'd me and he just told me about how it was taped in advance. I didn't know and that there was discussions about it. I had missed it. It's just that I think that people people view uh, Vince McMahon as more of a character. Whereas they view Dana White as a villain. Like, people just naturally hate Dana White, and part of it is the Trump stuff, and his connection to Trump makes it seem as though his desire to continue with the UFC is a lot of him not believing, like, you know, that he's a mouthpiece for Trump and all these different things. And so, I don't think it's necessarily the worst idea, especially to go do a quarantine league. Like, I think there's a scenario where this can work. My problem is, is I don't think the testing is where it needs to be for this to happen yet, and so I'm very, very uneasy with it. And... But if they do go and they put on a UFC and it's less than 20 people like I don't even I I was so locked into just having it be Habib and Tony and now he was healthy afterwards like no one was damaged no one has been complaining about that and so if they're doing it in a private island the athletes are signing off they want to fight they can make sure that they're not endangering other people like I don't think it's the worst problem we have going on right now I think there's bigger fish to fry. And so I'm not going to pretend to be like full outraged online just to get, you know, some cheap retweets.
0: No, here's the thing with the UFC. I'm going to touch on a couple of things you said. You know, the UFC is the, the ultimate form, obviously, of watching sports. And why I say that, it's such a finality to it. When the fight is done, it's done. Whether it's a knockout, a submission, a decision victory, it doesn't matter. It's over at that point. And it can happen at any second. With other sports, there is, you know, a time limit. Basketball, it ends at the end of the fourth quarter. Hockey ends at the end of the third period. You know, same football, fourth quarter. Everything has a time limit to it. So you can play within those restraints and, you know, bend the rules to the way that you want them. Obviously, you have teams that are great in football with the last two minutes of the game making a drive. You look at Brady at the Patriots for so long doing that. But in the UFC, you know, it doesn't matter if you put your hands down the wrong way or you get caught. It doesn't matter if you're George St. Pierre getting knocked out by Matt Serra. Or, you know, you can be John Jones and not... Realize what the rule was and drop your elbow on Matt Hamill and get a loss in your record. There's so many things wow. that can happen. But with the UFC, the reason why I enjoy it so much is just because of everything that happens with the storylines. You look at this fight with Tony and um, with Ferguson and Habib. It's the fifth time it's fallen apart. It's just not yeah. meant to be. This fight is not meant to be well, whatsoever. Cursed. It's completely cursed. And this time it was a pandemic that took it out. And it was listening to Joey Diaz on the Joe Rogan podcast saying this fight should never happen. This was the world's way of saying this fight should never, ever happen. Because it's been Habib going to the hospital, you know, the freak accident with Tony and his sunglasses tripping over wires. I mean, you name it, it's happened. And now on this very card here, you have Rose no- Namajunas pulling out of the fight now because she's got her social anxiety up and she's not going to be able to to fight on the card. So the card's already starting to crumble and I don't see it myself. I don't see it making it April 18th. I really want to see Francis Ngannou. I really want to have a night of, you know, having a couple beer, watching the fight as if it's a normal night. As if it's a normal watching the fights. Everybody's, you know, enjoying it together. You can tweet your buddies, obviously, because you can't be there with them. But I see what Dana White's trying to do, and he's trying to move everything forward a little bit. But I'm wondering for you. Obviously, you look at the card that's going to happen on the 18th. It's going to happen in... Um, in LA, it's going to happen on, on a reserve I do believe and they're going to do four fight cards in a row, four fight cards there and then the rest of them apparently will be on a private island I'm wondering for you, for the UFC should they pump the brakes after the, the, this card here and just let everything settle you already said you know it's not the PR they needed but do this fight and then should you just let the dust settle and, and, and be with every other lockstep with every other you know sports organization
1: Every other sports organization is the same. Like I don't think that they should all be locked up. Like golf has already announced that it's going to come back in June, right? And again, you can't predict these things with certainty. There's a scenario here where golf, the PGA Tour, gets pushed back. There's a scenario here where the UFC is not going to be able to conduct business. It's just not going to have enough fighters who are willing to do it. It's going to continue to be a bad look for more and more people like Rose to say, I'm not doing this. I'm not fighting here. I think part of what Habib did was like the the underlying thing here is that the guy went back to uh, like he went back to Russia because he didn't want to potentially get locked out of Russia. And you say whatever you want. Maybe part of this was not just about fearing that he couldn't get back there, but maybe part of it was that he didn't want to be affiliated with this and he was taking it seriously like other guys weren't. And that he didn't want to step into a cage with people who were training in big groups and doing this stuff. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the UFC and getting ready for a fight and having a yep. fight camp. These guys have big teams, right? Like, these guys, you have to be aware that every single one in your camp, everybody is going to be all adhering by the rules. Everybody's going to be healthy. Not one guy's going to be a leak. Uh, you know, th- this is a scary thing, man. Especially since even, like, we're all told that it's older people that are at greater risk, people with underlying health conditions. But... All, all I can say is that there are still some cases, too, where it really hurts younger people, and it can damage your lungs. And in a sport where cardio is just so goddamn important, the idea that you could blow out your lungs for the rest of your career by contracting coronavirus is, is really daunting. So I think that Dana needs to listen to his athletes. I think that they need to be hyper careful here. And, yeah, I would say that I don't really understand the need to ensure that you're guaranteeing dates and then be so hard line about it. That's what I would say is just annoying. But no, I don't think sports need to be lockstep because, yeah, a a sport like hockey, you know, it's just – it's impossible. You have roster sizes that are too big. You have people that need to be in places – same with baseball. It's just so many people. Like you have to play by different rules, but you're outside, okay? If you don't have anyone in stands, can you do the thing that Jeff Passon said where guys are sitting far apart and treating you – it's just – golf like i mentioned okay you can social distance and play professional golf like in fact it's almost to the point where i'm like why aren't they almost golfing now (laughs) yeah it's true like why aren't these guys just playing professional golf like it's how is it going to be any different from what they're going to do in june and are we sure that it is going to be that different in june so i think that a lot of these leagues are doing it from a pr standpoint a lot of them if they didn't have to deal with the backlash would be doing it already athletes want to compete fighters more than anybody else this is the part that is uncomfortable for me is that in a perfect world, I actually would like it if the UFC decided, you know what, we're not doing this right now. I'm just saying that it's not the worst thing to me. But the thing that really sucks is that fighters, it's always about who's tough enough, you know, who's going to step up for the company. And that's the way that the UFC has built things. Oh, Dana's done that for years.
0: For years, it's his motto. That's what I mean.
1: And so for Dana to be like, whoever fights here is going to have advantages in the new world. There's going to be people who need to draw paychecks there's going to be people who need that money from the UFC, who want that attention from the UFC, and who are going to want to be perceived as tough because, guess what? That's what this culture is. Well, that's what it's Gaethje like is. Next man up.
0: That's what right. Gaethje is. One hundred percent. He's grabbing that golden ticket. He's running with it. Right, and it just it scares me
1: a little bit that people would be, you know, not fully comfortable and not ever going to say, or that Dana White would be preying on people's mentalities of i'll fight no matter what you know like i'll fight even if i'm not a hundred percent i'll fight if it's dangerous i'll fight if it's in a shark tank like you're just you're kind of you're working with a group of people who are not geared like your everyday person they're not like me uh who's asking to go home from work the first like at the first sign of trouble you know what i mean like it's just it's a different type of person that you're dealing with here it's someone who's been asked to do this To fight in a cage against other professional fighters, it's like it's hard to deter them from
0: things. Well, look at the entire fight card. I mean, you're talking about fighters that can be preyed on. You look at the card top to bottom. Tony Ferguson and this fight has been five times, so obviously he's going to say yes to everything. Justin Gaethje's been kind of cast aside as an you you know you're the next guy, you're the next guy. Except Connor came back. Except Dustin Poirier won. So you know all these things. Then you look at Rose Namajunas. You know she lost the title. You don't want to say no to a rematch because you might not get back to that title ever again. So you say yes to it. Now now she's pulled out, obviously. But then you look at Francis Ngannou, same thing. He wants a title shot. But, you know, with his attitude and the way he represented himself in the UFC for so long, obviously he had some struggles. So this entire card is littered with people that basically have to say yes to further themselves up the UFC ladder and to basically impress the UFC brass, you know.
1: That's it. I just, I just think that as sports fans, we have to be willing to understand a couple of things. That it's not going to be perfect almost ever here until there's a vaccine. Yep. Until there's a vaccine, all sports happening are going to have a level of, this is uncomfortable. And it's all going to be about what risks are you willing to take. But still a lot of these guys are going to look at it and say, and this includes every single league. doesn't even matter how rich these guys are. There's a lot of guys in Major League Baseball that are scrapping for contracts there's a lot of guys in the NBA that know that they're only going to get one or two years of making good money or that they want to be able to prove out for a contract or they don't want to roll into this thing. There's a lot of guys who are going to simply say, I want to play. And if you're going to tell me that there's a 90% chance that I'm going to be okay, I'm willing to operate in a world where I'm I'm going to only get this 10% of the time. For me, it's mostly about making sure that there's no risks to other people. That's the main thing here. It's, it's just impossible, that's, that's do the that name that. of the game
0: absolutely it's, it's impossible.
1: Hard. Exactly. It's it's just, it's really, really hard right now. So sports are going to come back. Sports are going to come back. It's always going to feel too soon for all of these things. The UFC is going to be a test balloon. Maybe someone else like golf ends up coming back first and be a secondary test balloon. We'll see. But I just, I don't think we're ever going to feel good about when sports are back until there's a vaccine. Like, it's just, it's never going to feel like what we're doing is right here.
0: Well, putting feelings aside, what do you... What do you gather from this? The the MLB says they want to take every team and put them in Arizona and play their games there. The NBA says they want to bring every team and put them in Vegas and play there. And then you have the NHL looking at some sort of Frankenstein modified schedule and put all the teams in North Dakota and play everybody out of there. Now, you look at everybody, like you said, you have to bring in for each team. Then you bring in trainers. Then you bring in athletic therapists. Then you bring in your coaching staffs, your GMs, everybody that has to be there. That's a lot of people in and where the testing, like you've already said, is not 100%. Do you think that's something these guys should, like we've already spoke about this, but I mean, obviously, I don't don't think it's something that should be done, period. I want to see hockey finish because diehard Maple Leaf fan, love hockey, want to see the playoffs, win, lose, or draw. I want to see what happens. But I'd be comfortable with waiting until next year. But it seems they're so dead set in doing all this stuff and getting everything going. Like in these cities, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on everybody being in one spot and staying in that one spot.
1: So again, it's what can you live with? And to me, they're not there right now because of what you said with the testing. And again, to me, the major issue right now is can they develop a test where they can find a way whether or not you have the disease, whether you are an asymptomatic carrier, and can they figure it out within an hour? And can they do this on a daily basis? Because to me, that's the key here. It's not the vaccine. It's not necessarily waiting a year. And I don't mind these leagues talking about this stuff because they have to prepare themselves for what what is going to happen. I think that it's still more likely than not. Like, we had Brian Windhorst last week, and he's like, what the NBA is focusing on is what it looks like if they cancel the season. You know, I, I, I still feel like it's if you had to make me bet, I would say, yeah, I bet that the major sports leagues are not coming back. That baseball has probably the best chance because they'll have until July to start their season, but that the NBA, it's going to be very, very difficult. The NHL, it's going to be even more difficult because of roster sizes and because of ice that I just, it's, it's tough to foresee that being said, if they can develop testing and they are getting better at it, like this has already happened where they've developed these tests that are coming back faster and faster and faster and if they can continue to get better at this and there's enough for the public that's the secondary part of this you can't be using a test every single day or you know hundreds of tests every single day on athletes just so that they can play professional sports they have to be readily available to the public and they have to be everywhere if there is no longer a testing crisis which again so much of this is about then i think you can sort of play sports like i don't see why if you can test a guy before he enters the stadium and figure out whether or not he is like whether or not he is sick. Like within a shadow of a doubt, then you can do it. Like you can treat it as though it's basically any other injury. So you're losing a player potentially, but as long as you can make sure that you're not endangering the other athletes and that you can catch this thing early, you can do it. And I think that's the scenario baseball is planning for. That's the scenario the NHL is planning for. They're not doing it under these circumstances. They're looking forward and saying. Well, testing is changing rapidly. The goalposts are moving rapidly. What's going to happen in a month or two months from now with testing? And if it's there, if it's great, if it's not an issue, if it is like Korea or but with better tests that tells you things quickly, then, yeah, I think that they're going to probably look at guys and say, do you feel comfortable with this? And all those athletes are going to say, yep. And they're going to say, well, we don't want to lose billions of dollars and we don't want to be the ones that are like, you know, the Premier League is going to play soccer. They're not losing a billion dollars. They're going to no. figure this thing out.
0: That's so true.
1: it's just it's just these leagues are eventually going to say to guys like how much money are you willing to lose because eventually there's going to be a breaking point and if there's testing I think guys are going to play but that's what it comes down to is testing and safety before anything else and then they'll do it.
0: Well, you know, we just talked about the test balloon. The UFC is going to be that test balloon because apparently that is what they're going to be doing with everyone who arrives is they're going to test them mm-hmm. as they get there and let them, you know, know if you're positive or not. The only thing that was not known was is Joe Rogan had said if a person comes back asymptomatic and has no symptoms, are they going to allow that fighter to fight if the other person says, yes, I'll fight that person? Uh, That's the thing that Joe Rogan was wondering about. And, I mean, that to me, if you come back asymptomatic and you still have the coronavirus in you, you should be sent away because you're going to infect everybody else around. There's, There's no reason to put a person at risk.
1: I don't think that you would be able to fight. I'm I'm just guessing from like a a, logical standpoint. um, Well, it's not even logic. It's just like a like a legal standpoint. I think that I don't know if you can get a clause in a contract that's like, hey, if you give me a disease, it's going to be okay. I just I still think you'd be able to. There's there's too much risk that you're assuming if you're the UFC. Like I'm. Joe knows obviously more than I do, and so maybe he's asking this question and it's already been answered, but I just, I have a really tough time believing that an asymptomatic carrier would be allowed to fight if they knew that he had the virus. Like, again, yeah. the UFC has done some shady shit, but that, <laughs> that seems like a bridge too far.
0: Because he was he proposed that originally with um, when it was still Ferguson Habib because he was wondering if, if Ferguson tested positive for it, would he be fighting or vice versa? And that's why he said it. He said, would they sign off on it? But like you said, there's way too much. I, I think it would cost the UFC way too much. And it would look yeah, horrible if it ever got out. You know, that's what they let them do. And they have done a lot of shady crap and put up with a lot of shady crap, <laughs> John Jones. But, you know, you look you look, look at that and it's just something they can't do. But to switch gears, I mean, you've gotten to talk to a lot of great people over your time so far, how was talking to Nazim Kadri?
1: It was great. Uh, I've talked to Naz a few times, uh, on and off of a microphone, and he is a—he's just an interesting guy. He's a—he's a strong-willed guy. He's changed a lot over the years. Um, he's someone who um, I think still carries some a little bit of resentment towards how things played out. He's a chip on his shoulder kind of guy. But he's a really good guy and he's a fun guy and yeah, he's he's always been really well liked by just about everybody that I've also ever talked to that has known him from being teammates or from being media like yeah, I think that he was a pain early in his career, but as of right now, the the guy that I've gotten to interview has always been, you know, forthcoming, interesting, and yeah, just a, a good guy to talk to.
0: Now you say that he's got a little bit of a chip from what happened with the trade. Do you ever see him coming back as a free agent to Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe finish out his career, or is that bridge burned?
1: Uh, I don't think it's burned just from the standpoint. like He's still got some time in his career. He could absolutely sign here late in it, right? You could totally see a scenario where he comes back at some point, but I don't think that his next contract will be Toronto. Let's put it that way. I still think Kyle Dubas will be here. I don't think that those two will have a good enough relationship to be able to sit down. I don't think that Toronto will have the cap space to sign him in the first place. So without any type of a major move. So I could see it happening later, like one of Nazem Kadri's last contracts. He wants to be back in Ontario. He wants to finish his career with the team that signed him, you know, like look at did you like did anybody think Patrick Marlowe was gonna go back to the darks at any point? Like probably not. He ends up back there. Um could I see that? For sure. But could I see it in the immediate future? Like no chance.
0: Speaking, of she brought up Marlow. I, I think that's another player who's just absolutely cursed to chase in the cup. Goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins at the deadline. Looks like it's going to be a good chance to go on a little bit of a run with a great, experienced team with Crosby, Malkin, and the boys. And now you got this—he's him and Jumbo yeah. Joe. Just it doesn't ever seem destined. They they got real close once, and I, don't, I you know it doesn't matter. There's you look at the Leafs team that Marlow was on. You know they were pegged to go at least a little deep, and they never did. And then you look at the Penguins train, for him I feel so bad.
1: Yeah, I'd feel worse for him if he wasn't going to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Had a huge family, universally universally respect. <laughs>
0: like, that's, that's true. That's not being
1: able to win. He's got, he's got the Olympic gold too, you know. It's, a lot of people forget that he's on You know, the greatest Olympic team that I think that they ever put together. So, yeah, I, he's had a really great career. And it sucks for him on that one. You feel for him especially, you... I felt for Joe Thornton at the time when he didn't get traded at the deadline because obviously the guy wants to go compete. I think that there's a chance that Joe comes back even for yet another season next year. But yeah, this, the layoff is obviously toughest on the oldest guys. Like I talked, Justin Williams was on the show today. He's 38 years old. He's signing Carolina. He did the half season. Um, I think he wanted to make one more push with that, that team. And, He said he's not thinking about it right now, but it's hard not to think about a guy going into age 39 season and who already had his reservations about coming back to a degree, you know, lacing him up for another full year. So and whether or not there's even a spot for guys like that in some cases. Right. Think about a guy like Jason Spezza. Who knows what this, how this changes his career. Who knows how this affects him moving forward? So, yeah, veteran players have to eat it in the toughest. Like veteran guys and dudes who are up for contract extensions, they have to feel this the most.
0: I'm going to fly through a bunch of questions with you and then I'm going to let you go because obviously I know you got some things to get done this evening. Alexander oh, I... Ovechkin, does he catch Wayne Gretzky?
1: Nah, he'll, do, he'll be just short. He'll be just short, but he'll get really close and people like me will still call him the greatest goal scorer of all time because in this era, to even get a sniff of Gretzky is crazy. So, no, but we'll still think he's maybe the greatest. A lot of people will say he's the greatest.
0: I'll agree with you on that one. All right, so Habib versus Ferguson, does it ever happen?
1: I'm going to say yes even though there's no reason to believe that it will because you're right, like if there's ever a reason to believe in curses, that is it. But here's the thing is that every single UFC, it's like the this is the make good to the hardcore. Like every single person that likes fighting and who loves the UFC and has been with it forever knows that this is potentially the best matchup that the that the, that the organization has ever been able to put together. Like, it's the most interesting fight potentially the UFC has ever had. And they're not massive names. Like, I know Habib is much bigger now. Tony is still, you know, very, very small when it comes to outsiders, right? Like, this Gatesy fight, Tony is not going to be a huge draw. Like, the draw is going to be the fact that it's the only sport going on right now. Yeah. But... This is a payoff that I think Dana White needs to give people. Like, this is something that we all need. And the only fear I have is that I think it'll happen. My fear is that it becomes the Pacquiao Mayweather thing, where oh, it's yeah. one of the guys is no longer his top form self. Like, what happens if Gaethje knocks out Tony Ferguson in this fight? And Tony's had some weird injuries in his career. You know what I mean? Like, it's just...
0: He's no sprint chicken
1: sport. That's what I mean. He's not, he's not young, like this fight really needs to happen within a within a year or it just feels like it's not gonna be what it's been supposed what it's supposed to have been for the last five years. like look how fast like I love Max Max Holloways one, like after George St Pierre, my favorite fighter who's who's ever stepped into an octagon. he's absolutely. And, awesome. But he gets the health scare, and then, you know, he, he loses the belt. And it just, it, this this sport is not for, the this of sport hands. is not about longevity, man. Like, it's you have a short window to be at your top tippity-top best. And I just, I really hope it happens. But I just, my fear is it happens
0: too late. No, that's one argument. I mean, even so I look at George St. Pierre wanting to fight either Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre wanting to fight Conor McGregor or Habib. I think George St. Pierre would, would lose now. Right, and okay. a lot of these guys would build a name off him so it's the same thing. I think Ferguson only has maybe one, maybe two years left, and he says he's a late peaker. But obviously, we all know what happens. You know, Father Time doesn't lose to anybody, so yep. you know, age oh. comes. Next one for you, Toronto Raptors. Um, I know okay. the season's on hold, but do you see them having a chance at repeating if it's this year going on or next year when they bring everybody back?
1: So, if it's this year, they have. I think, probably a better shot than next season. I just think that they're riding the wave of this championship, that they've got a really tight team chemistry, and they've still got a a pretty loaded roster. I I just don't see how next year they're going to be able to bring back uh, Serge Ibaka, Marc Gasol, and Fred Van Vliet, or that we're going to get this version of Marc Gasol for that much longer. Like It's just he and Serge Ibaka both feel like picking time bombs to a certain degree in terms of them being at their most effective. So I think the Raptors getting healthy and the Raptors trying to take advantage of some teams that maybe don't have the same chemistry in the playoffs and the shortened playoffs, it could be a thing, but yeah, I've been doing these Raptors rerun podcasts and (laughs) and your biggest, your biggest takeaway watching these things is as exciting as the Raptors have been this year, how many games do they win without Kawhi? Like they don't even get out of the second round and yep, guys are better and guys, some guys have taken a step. But a lot of those Raptors players were pretty damn good last year. And they really, really needed, you know, multiple 35-plus point games from Kawhi Leonard, one of the best playoff runs from an individual in the history of the NBA. That's only really paralleled by runs by LeBron James and Michael Jordan to get there. So I think they have a a puncher's chance. But I certainly would still think that the favorites are Milwaukee, the Lakers, and the Clippers. And if one of those three teams didn't win, I'd be pretty damn surprised.
0: DeMar DeRozan, Toronto Raptor again, or no? It's
1: just so tough, because he wants his money, he still wants a contract, and so how are you going to pay him if you're really going to be going after free agents? I think that DeMar, after this season, um, he he's going to opt into his contract next year, his player option. Word was he was going to opt out of it if he didn't get a long-term deal from the Spurs, but at this point, there's just too much money on the table because the salary cap is going to plummet after, you know, a billion-dollar loss for the NBA. So he probably opts in, which takes him into, I think, his age 31 or 32 season as a free agent. And if he's still looking for a contract where he's going to want to get paid, I don't see the Raptors doling it out to him. I just I don't see how the fit operates. I don't see how he works with this group of younger players, this core. I don't think that he's a desirable free agent. I think that there's also problems in terms of image, where it's like, here's this guy who's been a leader for everyone. It's the Carmelo Anthony thing, you know. Like even yeah. when you take a step back, maybe having you around, guys and taking shots from from better players is difficult. So I love Demar. I wish there was a scenario where Demar Derozan was a Toronto Raptor in some capacity. Because yeah, man, there's he's he's always going to be a big part of this franchise. It's just it's one of those things where, as of right now, personally, I I don't see how the money and the fit would line up for the Raptors over the next couple of seasons
0: no that's uh, for me I'd love to see DeMar DeRozan back just how things ended with the Mm -hmm. trade and him and Kay Lau maybe two more seasons playing together something like that but you know what I agree with you it's going to be hard to pay a guy that's almost on the back nine of his career at that point maybe a couple seasons Uh but then you're paying that big money out the next one I'll ask you about Toronto Blue Jays playoff team or no (laughs)
1: <laughs> Actually, I'll say this. I'll say this. If it's short, if, like it's going to be a short season. It's going to be a race to the finish. If this is a – if they do some bastardized version of Major League Baseball where they play, let's say it's 80 games, and you get to bring Nate Pearson up right away, and you have Hunjin Ryu, and you're not as worried about Ryu getting injured because he doesn't have to you know, pitch as many innings this year, and you have a one-two of Nate Pearson and Hunjin Ryu, and then you have one of those other guys gives you – maybe like a shoemaker who's an injury prone guy, doesn't have to pitch as much, doesn't need to stay healthy for as long. Uh, a guy like Ken O'Rourke maybe ends up as your fourth guy instead of your third guy and is like that four E R A. And then you get one of the Baruchy slash Anthony K slash Trent Thornton's as your fifth guy in the rotation. It's like you could have a pretty nasty staff for an eighty team, eighty game like stretch run season, especially if your young guys take a step in the middle of the order. Like there's a scenario for it, right? Travis Shaw rebounds, and he's mayor of Ding Dong City again, and all of a sudden, Vlad Jr. becomes what they what they thought he was supposed to be, and Bo Bichette continues off of what he was doing last year, and Kevin Biggio takes a step, and Lourdes Goriel Jr. is as good as he's been over like an actual 500-plate uh, plate appearance sample size. Like, there's a chance they could do it, but I just don't think that they're one of the most talented teams in the American League, and I think that... Yeah, the Yankees are locking up that division. They are healthy now. They've been able to take time off. And I don't see that much separation between what the Red Sox and the Blue Jays are, even though everyone's writing off the Red Sox and they say they're terrible. You've still got the Rays, who are going to have an incredible one two punch, actually, one two three punch when it comes to pitching. So their, their division is just a murderous row. I still think that this season was always a bridge. This season was always about taking a step and being competitive and seeing where you are and making, trying to find out what you have in some prospects and trying to find out what you have in some young guys to make that next move. The next move, the first move was free agents. Hunjin Ryu giving him some money. It's giving Tanner Rourke some money. Seeing what you have in Nate Pearson. And then the next move is going to be, I think for them, is going to be reaching into the farm system and then moving off of some of the younger guys to make sure they supplement the rest of the talent and really make that next push to support the next guys. But they're just not quite there yet. I don't think they're a playoff team. They were certainly not a playoff team in a 162 game season. But there's an outside puncher's chance for them as well. But if they made the playoffs, it would just it would it would have to be like just a miracle of all miracles at this point, considering their division and 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 how and how good the Yankees and the Rays look.
0: Well, let's hope for a shortened season and hope for that one puncher's chance they Absolutely. make it through. Yeah, Otherwise, you just broke every Blue Jays fan's heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, so, last one I'll leave with obviously hockey podcast. Got to ask. If the NHL comes back, we play a shortened short playoff berth or whatever it is, do the Toronto Maple Leafs finally make it past round number one?
1: I I, like, I want to believe they will. I want to believe they will. It's just, again, talking to Justin Williams today, I asked him who has the short playoff series. And teams that are disciplined and teams that have a great system. Teams that know and have their identity that they can fall back into. And that doesn't sound like the least to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to just defer to the guy that has the nickname about being clutch in the playoffs and say that if Toronto ends up having to play in a short series against, yeah, Tampa Bay, um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to see how... They have the advantage. Like, could they do it? Of course. It's the NHL playoffs. Anything can happen. Last year, Columbus beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Do I think the Leafs right now are better than Columbus? I absolutely do. I just, I, I think that this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a throwaway season for the Leafs. It's really, if they come back, I don't think that you're going to be able to put too much stock into what they do. It's going to be such a little fire, it's going to be a fire run. This team is now going to be determined by what happens next year. It was supposed to be this one. I'm not trying to make any excuses for anyone, but um, they, they, to me, they're a failure this year. To me, it would, it would it would be very, very strange to see them come back from a break and be playing all of a sudden a consistent brand of hockey and have that immaturity level. Sheldon Keefe has talked about so many times, just drastically changed. I want to believe, I think they have the talent. I think that they have the right pieces moving forward still. I'm not a trade everybody or trade one of the big young pieces. I think you're invested to that. But right now... I think that you're thinking with your heart more than your brain. If you think that the Leafs are all of a sudden just going to become a team that you know we haven't seen for more than you know a ten game stretch this year.
0: Well, let me throw a little bit of a different theory at you. Everybody's coming back. It's going to be like October hockey, and what better team to be able to play that run and gun, score a bunch of goals where everything's sloppy than the Toronto Maple Leafs? So that might Maybe. propel them past that first round where everybody's rusty and you know kind of gross playing. No systems are really nailed down. That might get them past round one. But you're right. Beyond that, I don't see them being able to fall back in anything because they don't have anything. But, I mean, if you listen to Sheldon Keefe, he's kind of gone Babcock-esque, saying he doesn't have a Netflix account. All he's doing is watching old Maple Leaf games and, and nailing it down. So, I don't know if he's dipping into the Babcock waters, but he might be a force to reckon with when everybody comes back.
1: Listen, I hope so. Nothing will be better for us than uh, coming back and having a long Maple Leafs run. And Lord <laughs> knows that. Uh, sitting there and rewatching Leaf games and replay games and seeing Game 7 against Ottawa watching England, and watching Newendijk Barry on the lean and realizing that's the last time I saw the Leafs win a playoff game and I yeah. was in high school was brutal. So, yeah, I'm ready for
0: it. Ready for it. <laughs> I, I Listen, I can remember the absolute last playoff game against the Philadelphia Flyers before they went on that huge not making the playoffs when Jeremy Roenick scored yep. that goal. I was actually at one of my final high school dances. And you saw it on the the lunchroom TV, the Leafs losing, and you know, I just absolute heartbreak. And then Pat Quinn's gone, and it just felt like the whole mm-hmm. wind and the sails were gone. JD, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. It's been almost an hey. hour. It's absolutely yeah, no. awesome, man. Hey, it's great talking to you, man. I'm actually gonna fly. I got a phone call right now. I got to take. Not a problem. So, buddy. Good timing. Good timing.
1: Hey, cheers! Thanks for having me, man. Take no.
0: care. So that was JD Bunkus from a good show with Ben Annis and J.D. Bunkus on Sportsnet. Listen to them on the radio. Get them in your ears. Awesome to talk to them about everything underneath the sun from the UFC to hockey to baseball, golf, sports in general. Just a great conversation about everything going on around it and how they're going to get back to playing some things and how things may not get back to normal for a long time. Guys, thank you very much for swinging by. Checking out Offside Hockey Talk. Have yourself a great evening.